Welcome back to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzarite Financial Services. We have returned from Blacksburg, where Notre Dame, at long last, going all the way back to coming back from Norman, Oklahoma, has solved the hex of a Power 5 ranked team on the road. And uh, like this 2012 team, after six games, this squad is now in contention for a lot more. Are you going to sit on your road uh, stats for a while or until the next till the next loss on the road? I'll bring it up before the next game. Yeah. <laughs> no, you should. Yeah. But it was no, it was a great it's performance. In November too, you know, the yeah, next that's time. True. Ah, that's true. That's true. No, it was a really solid performance. Uh, a really good bounce back by Ian Book within the game. Um, you know, up by a point at halftime. I thought I thought what you said in our incident analysis, Tim after the game, that it didn't feel like they were losing. That that was what a couple players indicated, but it felt like Notre Dame should be up by a lot more. There's no doubt about that. And so what did Notre Dame do? They scored the first 21 points of the second half. Um, I wrote about in today's Tale of the Tape, Virginia Tech actually penetrated Notre Dame territory on its first five drives. On the fifth one, they scored against the backups, but on the, the first four, it was two punts and two missed field goals. And Notre Dame capitalized after that. Give Ian Book a lot of credit for bouncing back from a shaky uh, second quarter, I guess you would say, after he missed Chris Fink on a deep ball when Notre Dame was up to nothing. He kind of got in a little funk, and I also agree with you that he just needed just go in at halftime, gather yourself, and be Ian Book again. And he came out and he did that, completing 10 of 12 in the second half. You know, I've watched your analysis. Like, I kind of disagree. I felt like Notre Dame was losing. Like, I I, I think my opinion was more in line with Miles Boykin, where he, he told me, it's like, yeah, we kind of, this felt like Ball State, but like, in an advanced way. I would say, like, I felt like they weren't winning. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, it's like, well, what's going on here? But I think uh, when, when... Yeah, the 10 oh, nothing cool. counts. Yeah, yeah. I felt that they were losing because Okwara got thrown out of the game. That that was That's, what yeah, that, that was the tipping point for me. It was like, all right, this trend line is. It wasn't just that it was they went from ten nothing to seventeen sixteen. It was the fact that it was it was a one point game. Dalen Hayes isn't there because of a stinger. Okwara just got tossed for targeting. That that to me felt like okay. This is sort of th- this has all the trend lines of a thirty three thirty loss where. There are recriminations and all that about Brian Kelly after the game, and I, mean, I think in, in some ways, as as much as Virginia Tech is clearly not a a ranked opponent in the classical term of a top twenty five team, um, it was not a, an easy environment, and I give Notre Dame a lot of credit for sort of clinically putting them out in the second half. Yeah, they put them down in the second half, but you know that that run by Dexter Williams, you, we talk about momentum all the time. And I don't know how much it applies when you get to the pros or anything else. It really applies in college ball, in college football. And all the players embraced it. They said, yeah, look, man, that run just made us believe that we are about to put it on them. And go back, do yourself a favor, go back and watch that run. Because, Pete, I saw you put Alizé Max block up on there. Obviously, Tommy Kramer got did a good job pulling, making the, def- the yeah. linebacker get out of the way. Robert Hainsey oh, yeah. on the backside seal allowed that to be an easy touchdown. Because Williams probably has to make a move. On the linebacker coming over, but Hainsey held his block for and not holding like what happens to yeah. Khalid Kareem on every play. <laughs> executed his block all, for four seconds, and all of a sudden that was yeah. it. Live, Dexter Williams is a star of that run. In slow mo, the offensive line and the tight ends are just yeah, absolutely fabulous. Yes. Well, was it was it? I said Claypool, but I'm not sure now where he actually sealed the the one of the inside linebackers initially coming right off the snap. So yeah, as usually is the case with a run like that. It's well more than the running back, and Dexter Williams ends up with 178 78 yards rushing. 
on that run, I love Brian Kelly's comment because I think it was a dig the way you barely give a coaching dig when you respect your he, I mean, he definitely respects Bud Foster and Justin Fuente either way. When he said there's no levels to that defense, he was pointing out, if you are going to keep stuffing us, we are eventually going to get you with Dexter Williams because that is kind of the way many college football offenses operate now. It's stuff, stuff, stuff. Well, if you're going to keep bringing everybody up, right. we're going to hit you, and it's going. Hey, look, seven years ago, Brian Kelly would have abandoned the run, and that run to Dexter Williams yeah. probably never would have happened because they would have thrown it 52 well, that's times. You, we don't, we're not sitting next to you anymore, but yeah. that, that's what I said. That you know, we were sitting another, next to this week. Yeah, <laughs> another offensive coordinator and a Brian Kelly in a different time in his life would have thrown on second and 12 from their own three, and, yeah. and he didn't do that. Um, and, you know, I th- it was interesting, his comments. I mean, he he basically said, I went to Chip Long at halftime and said, we need to run the football more. But that's not what he said after yeah. the game, <laughs> that they had to they had to adjust and get back to what they do best and, and things along those lines. And, and I, you know, I, I thought that uh, they stuck with the running game. They needed to do that. Chip Long continues to, with with a legitimate, with a quarterback that can do so many things and run so much of his playbook, it just makes Chip Long a much more dynamic play caller. Yeah, I thought that uh, one thing that was interesting to me looking at the way the game unfolded is the personnel group that I think we all wanted to see in the preseason is just like a complete beast to deal with. Komet, Mack, Boykin, Claypool on the field together is starting to come to fruition now. I think they finished with, I want to say, 21 catches between the four of them. Maybe it was 20 catches. And they have gotten better every week in terms of reception totals since Book has come into the lineup. And at that point, that you know, Chris Fink was running wide open all over the place. And that, I think, is, is sort of a byproduct of you put out three six-foot-four and up or offensive targets. And if you put them all four out at once... Two of them are going to be single covered. It was something I asked Clark Lee about in August. I said, "Like, all right, how do you cover that?" I was like, "I don't know." I mean, it's like you have to hope you get pressure on the quarterback. Norim's offensive line, I think, has been surprised was surprisingly good on Saturday night, minus bars in their sort of first spot. But when you have a quarterback who can easily figure out who is single covered or two guys who are single covered, then that sort of that's a, stretch athleticism becomes even more uh, critical. That's a good way of putting it. He easily figures it out. And, and speaking of the tight ends and, and what you just said, Pete, yet another reason why Chip Long is exactly the guy the Notre Dame needs. A, another way for them to have success in the blue zone with three tight ends on the field with one guy attached and two off the line of scrimmage lined up next to each other. And Dexter Williams easily slams his way into the end zone for a 7 nothing lead. To put a ball on that point, Miles Boykin, since Ian Book took over at quarterback, has 12 first downs or touchdowns. Chris Fink has six all first downs. Claypool has two touchdowns and five first downs. And Alizé Mack has a touchdown and seven first downs. That's in three games. And none of that was happening. Well, Chris Fink a little bit. But nobody else yeah. with, with the prior situation was breaking out in that You manner. know, and Claypool had a quiet game, four catches for 26 yards, but three of those catches went for first downs. Yeah, so that's, that's that's obviously great productivity. Before we close segment one, I did want to talk about, you know, the bad snap on the, the punt, which is, that's a first for John Shannon, correct? That's yeah, what the I announcer don't said, and I don't remember another one. When, when Newsom picked up the ball and started to square his shoulders, the nearest defender was eight and a half yards away, and I, clearly he... He could have punted that. Now, the problem is that 
Shannon never snaps it poorly, and so Newsom isn't thinking there's going to be a bad snap. Now, it was his first time doing that, too. Right, exactly, <laughs> right. And so you have to you have to coach him and say, I think you have to coach all punters and say, number one, anticipate a bad snap and go from there. And and he didn't do that. Uh, otherwise, he would have, I mean, if he, I think if he had that in mind, he would have picked it up and quickly kicked it. That was, I, I wanted to ask, Brian Kelly about this on Sunday didn't get a chance to. I, I'm curious, like, what's coached there for a punter? Like, when in that situation, unless you are 100% sure that you can get the punt off, do you sort of take the L as, a, as a, a sack opposed to having it blocked and have it return for a mm-hmm. touchdown? Because at that point, the odds of the, the risk-reward there, I think, is you could make an argument that, like, the number of times the punter then tries to kick it and then it gets blown True, up. Yeah. And, I mean, he he had to fish for it and he came up with it right away. Yeah, I, but I'm just saying, like, at that point, you're like, ah, oh, this is. Yeah, it's like when in doubt, even if it's like a little bit of doubt. It's a good question. One we of us should, 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 should ask it. Because you think maybe it's a your best chance is a 20 yard punt, and your worst chance is a 43 yard touchdown return, right? So maybe yeah, at that going, point, it's like maybe going down. Is, yeah, but it's it's uh, it's, it's a two not, to one odds that you're. He could have gotten it off. It's not five foot. 11 Ben Turk, it's, you know, ben it's, Turk it's, makes the it's Tyler okay. Newsom who's a good athlete. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, we're nitpicking, but they're 6 and 0 and they're ranked fifth in the country. So you nitpick when, when you're talking about a team like Gotta this. Gotta go deep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, overall, was there anything else about Notre Dame's defense that I think is worth talking about? I thought the, the defensive line depth was really interesting because as much as there clearly was a drop off. It wasn't a drop-off below winning football, no, which I think no. is really significant. Six pressures, seven pressures, plus uh, three sacks and a forced fumble that re- results in a touchdown. I mean, that's that's a good effort. Um, one thing, if you want to talk about not having a drop-off, that defensive stand, that wasn't a goal, that wasn't your garden variety. That's first and goal to one. First and goal to one, and Bilal and Love saved a yes. touchdown there. And Love talked about it. He said, look, we're a special, he called it themselves. He said, we are a special defense because when he and the other, he thought it was a safety. But when the two of them made a tackle at the one, this is that was a brand new start for them. They were and Pitt didn't do anything wrong. Those were awful play calls. Those should get you in the first two. You know, you should be able. Yeah. To, they messed up the third one, but that's because there's more pressure once you right. get to the third one. Right. And I thought Love's point of Clark Lee's um, mantra is make them take as many snaps as possible in the red zone because we keep getting. Yeah, a that's a great, that's an interesting I, comment. I mean, I feel like that was Diaco's thing yeah. too. Yeah, where he's a good like, too. It was kind of a bend, but don't. Wait a minute, I got to bring up since you brought up Diaco. <laughs> you really, you realize, <laughs> Here we go. Yep. You, you realize he's a new outside elevator. linebackers coach, he's a new outside linebackers coach at Oklahoma because Ruffin McNeil has been promoted to defensive coordinator because Mike Stoops has been fired. I just thought I'd throw that in. The thing that I want to, the thing I want to talk about, and I, I didn't totally realize this till I watched the game um, Sunday night, but. There were four freshmen and a junior that never plays that made significant plays, um, mainly in Notre Dame territory, mainly in the mm-hmm. second half. And I'm not going to go into all of them because I'm going to encourage everybody to go to um, today's Tale of the Tape, which means if you don't subscribe, we're asking you to. <laughs> um, but the, the, the four freshmen are Houston Griffith, who made a couple of significant plays. Shane Simon, who came in on the goal line and made a play. Uh, both Adam Alolas made significant plays. Justin coming in and, and making a, a, a real impact for the first time at Notre Dame. And then Jameer Jones 
um, the junior. I started to call him Richard Sophomore, but he is actually a junior, right? He, yep, he's he a preserve year of eligibility. I thought, actually, of those five, I thought Jameer Jones was the least impressive. I don't think that he gets to the gets around the football often enough, but he made a play or two along the way as well that was significant in in during that twenty one nothing run in the third quarter in particular. Yeah, it's, I mean, I thought that their their dime package has been pretty lethal. And once you remove Dalen Hayes from that, it, the, the drop off is is noticeable. Um, and I think that Jim, Jameer Jones, I think, is more of a stout type of player. Exactly. Where Dalen can chase down a running play that's going away right. from him in a way that Jameer cannot. But in terms of holding the point of attack and just being physical, I think in, in some ways Jameer Jones and Ogan Deja are both more like Khalid Kareem than either of them are like Dalen Hayes or Julian O'Quara. Um, but. Those are the guys that they have. I thought Jameer Jones looked coached well when he was in there. He looked yeah. like, I am going to take on this block, and I'm not going to get moved out of yeah. this area I'm supposed to be. And that that's what you want from yeah. the guy. That, not to make yeah, a no, that's, mistake. Yeah, that, that's, no, that's a good point. I, I, I'm looking for playmaking. Yeah, and and yeah. That, that is a good point. You don't want to... You don't want to lose your lane. That's when you get in trouble. He had a couple where he could have made a play, and he's not fast enough to your point. There was a, there was right. a quarterback escape to, where he just couldn't yeah. run. He and plays it. very upright. He needs to get underneath things a he little bit better. He's new weight, too. He's in a new position. Yeah. He's moved into three positions since he's been here. It's it's just, uh, I mean, the reason he doesn't have an extra year is because they had him running covering kicks as a freshman. You don't cover kicks as well when you're at his weight now. Right. It's, so yeah. he's, he's just kind of had an yeah. odd career but, here. But here you are. I mean, I'm, The point is, here you are without Hayes. He's not even there. You're without uh, Julian O'Quarr in the second half, and somebody's got to step up, and who's stepping up? Now, granted, th- there were also plays during that time made by Tranquil and Love and Bilal and Coney and Bonner. <laughs> well, yeah, they're going to. Kareem and Tillery. <laughs> the regular dudes. Yeah, the regular dudes, but these guys filled in, really did a good job. And that, that ultimately, you know, as opposed, you know, it's, if you don't get that kind of productivity from the younger guys, there's probably an extra touchdown in there for Virginia Tech, and then the game isn't over as early as it was. Uh, Pete, our talking point, did not actually technically play out in the pass rush, did not travel, and that Dalen Hayes did not yeah, literally go to the game. <laughs> <laughs> they really made a point of <laughs> blowing up that part. point. I thought it was a good good line by me. I, I used it everywhere. It's a lot. I, I could have all weekend. And it's a lot. Dalen Hayes. This really did not come along. Shoulder, <laughs> brachial plexus, plexus, or whatever that is. Um, yeah, it's, for Ryan Willis to get off 52 passes and be sacked twice, at, I think that's just a sign of O'Quara played a half and Dale and Hazel didn't yeah. play at all. Yeah, so I want to, and we can close with this and go into our questions and talk about everything else, but I want to say that I underrated Ryan Willis going into the game. I overrated him in post-game <laughs> instant analysis, and now that I got home and was able to watch it again, now I have it all in perspective. I originally said he wasn't good enough to beat Notre Dame. I was right, but he properly can help, he can help that. <laughs> yeah. Properly rated. He was, he was rated properly quarterback, rated. Ryan Willis. He missed he missed too many wide open passes, certainly. But I think at Virginia Tech, you know, if he can if he can be a little bit more accurate, he's mobile enough to do some things and move around. Yeah, and I, I think that's some of that goes into the way I was feeling at halftime that Notre Dame was losing despite winning because there were while Notre Dame had some opportunities that. They, you know, I didn't take advantage of, especially on the on long balls. Uh, Willis missed, missed a bunch of passes, and I mean, you go back to the Notre Dame's first drive. It's like, wow, clinical efficiency. <laughs> well, I mean, they had a face mask penalty. They that, did exactly that played a huge part in that on uh, sack. Yeah, on yeah. sack. I mean, yeah. it would have been like third and twelve. Yeah. Or something. So I mean, Willis left some plays out there, but when Notre Dame had a chance to put pressure on him, full credit to Notre Dame because Khalid Kareem was a, had an incredible effort play on that sack that Julian Love returned for the fumble. And I, I think that they did enough to sort of make him feel uncomfortable in 
the second half, whereas in the first half, I thought that Virginia Tech's offensive game plan was also really good because it, it forced Notre Dame's linebackers into like not being completely sure what they were seeing and put them in a lot of coverage situations. I was surprised to look back today when I was going through the stats in the game. Virginia Tech had 21 plays of 10 yards. That seems like a lot. It is, and but, they probably but, had half a dozen 20 yards, yeah. which is a they lot had, for Notre Dame. And they had one play of 25 yards. So, I mean, I think it's, Part in some of the ways, plan. That's, yeah. that's the structure of your defense and how Virginia Tech attacked it. Julian Love did say post-game, uh, we weren't sure exactly what we are going to get from him, uh, so we kind of gave up the hitch. He said he's, it's a developing offense under him. Oh, there's two games on tape. There's two games on tape. There's a little Kansas tape. We weren't sure where they were going to go. They kind of so when people itch. are screaming at home that you have to can you quote Chuck Martin? Tighter. Yeah, Chuck Martin. Yeah, Never. yeah. Please <laughs> hey. remind people of the Chuck Martin quote. It's the greatest. We said we've ne- we asked him about why they give up so many hitches in a game, and he said, "Tim, we have never." gone to a Sunday morning film room and said, man, we lost that game because of that nine-yard hitch. <laughs> <laughs> so you do give up something in modern football. Love, I guess, pointed that out. Um, I think Ryan Willis, when I said he was a Kansas transfer, derogatory starter, it's more of a pit transfer maybe. Is that good? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that that's, about, that's about right. That and less I confusing? Did, yeah, and I did want to say, and then we'll go to break, um, another example of Drew Tranquil in the film room before the game and sniffing out a play was after Okor had an 11, 11-yard 11 sack, so it was second and 26, and they had a completion for 11, so it was third and 15. And they motioned a guy behind Peoples, and Tranquil immediately read it. They gave it to Peoples, two-yard loss, field goal, you know, the field goal fest that was going on in the first half. Uh, you can you can generally tell when Drew Tranquil sees something that he saw during the week Sniffs it out and makes a play. You will also not hear a coach say we lost that game because of all those field goals we gave up in the first half. That's true, too. That's true, too. Okay, we'll be back. Segment two, burning up the boards. Catanza Reed Financial Services is a safe harbor providing guidance to clients on anything that affects them financially, including retirement planning, asset management, and estate planning. Catanza Reed Financial Services also leads retirement planning classes in South Bend and Elkhart, Indiana. Log on to ContanzaReedFinancialServices.com. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider, burning up the boards. We start with a pair of questions about the same topic in general. J.D. Sharp, 8806, how does Lane Stadium compare to other road environments you've been to, was it as loud as advertised? And then from at to, oops, yeah, at way to go, K-Man, louder atmosphere, Virginia Tech or Miami of 2017? First of all, we'll answer the second part first because it's not even, it's like different sports. Who's better, Alabama or St. Joe High School in terms of loudness? Miami was ludicrously loud to the point where we're just looking at each other like, I don't understand Not only what's the crowd, here. but also the the, uh, the stadium. loudspeaker. Yes. And oh, everything. Was the out roof. Of, <laughs> was yeah, out that of this roof world. that came over, that kept the sound in. Um, that was, Miami is the loudest stadium I've ever been in. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, I went to the Orange Bowl, too, when they were throwing bottles and trying to kill people. So yeah. that was a little more intimidating. But Miami was the loudest I've ever been to. And then Florida State and Clemson recently were louder than Lane Stadium because they were amazing games where the crowd had to be in it the entire time to beat Notre Dame. This would have been one of those instances where if I had kept my word and asked Brian Kelly on Thursday about how loud he expected, if he said, like Michigan State, he would have been probably dead on. No, I mean, in in hindsight, it it was sort of like Michigan State. However, I will say, first question, very cool. The entrance was great. Yeah, the entrance I, is out of this world. I cool. heard, I mean, a couple people tweeted that it was overrated. Yeah, well, then you, because them. then you built it up too much yeah. going into it. I mean, I don't know how you can't be. That's to you, L Dog. Uh, Come on, man. I don't know how you couldn't be uh, really impressed with. 
I mean, the presentation. I had somebody else say, well, you know, Chris Fowler built it up. Well, yeah, I mean, that's his job to build it up. It's a really, really incredibly impressive pregame display and presentation. To paraphrase, to paraphrase Mike McGlinchey's tweet, Best entrance in college football, ND by a billion. That's what he said. It had nothing to do with it. But he's right. That entrance is awesome. Yeah. But the rest of the game, and Notre Dame was part of this, it wasn't even close to being as loud as the place we've been recently for Notre Dame games. Yeah, I mean, it felt like after the entrance ended, the fans didn't really know what to do with themselves. Like, there, were, there was nothing that carried over into the game, whereas at Miami, it just carried over the entire game. Yeah. At Michigan, the entire yeah. game. Notre Dame, Notre Dame home against Michigan, the entire game. Like... I can tell you, Notre Dame against Michigan was way louder yes. than yeah. Lane Stadium was at any point on Saturday night, save maybe right when the the team came onto the field. This is kind of like those Notre Dame games that people complain about where the fans don't reach the level you expect them to because it's a close game and you need to beg them to almost have a reason. They needed. A re- I felt like they needed a reason to cheer. And that's not what you think from the best environments. Virginia yeah, Tech I mean, needed think, a reason, and they didn't I, have one. Well, see, I find it hard to compare because where we sit... Yeah, at, at Notre Dame, it's really, really muffled. Whereas yes. Virginia Tech, you could hear it a little bit more. I don't know where the open spaces were, but you could hear. There were a couple windows. The crowd, right? Correct. Okay, there were a couple windows, and really, Notre Dame really, really, really should do that. But that would be, that would be for the media, and why would you do that? But uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I couldn't help myself. But uh, I mean, I you know, I you know, compare. I mean, it's 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 a great atmosphere. It's a great college football atmosphere. I, I think we all thought that. Clemson three years ago was amazing, but we're in an open air, a completely open air. You're in a much better game. Too. We're, we're in the back of the crowd, basically. Yeah, in a in a enclosure. Uh, just my examples in Pete's Michigan, Florida State, and Clemson were amazing college football games. We're on the field, and this the team has the the crowd is helping their defense try to win the game at o- the end of the game. Oklahoma was very cool. Yeah. Um, Tennessee has been really cool. I don't know about the last time that Notre Dame was there, but Tennessee, I've been there before, and Tennessee yeah, can be super you know, it's a it's six-figure crowd. So and it that, goes that straight up. Be, Penn, Penn yeah. State in 2007 yes. was crazy. Yes, the yeah. whiteout in 2007. That That's every bit as impressive as they make it out to be. I think if you had to like put a fine point on this, and I said that like night game at Lane Stadium was kind of like a professional bucket list item, I think it was more like, Entrance to a night game at Lane Stadium. That was the cool part. The actual Lane Stadium experience for the entire game was was okay. Including the walk from the parking lot to the uh, stadium. Yeah. The media complaints that people love here. Yes. Yes. It was nice nice to get my two-mile walk in each way. The longest (laughs) walk from parking lot to press box we've ever experienced. Beautiful campus. It was. Yeah, really cool. Saw more of it than I was expecting. And then when you you go there to pick up your credential, they don't have them. But we worked it out. They let us in anyway. Mick Brogue asked, what were the most important halftime adjustments that Chip Long made to outfox Bud Foster in the second half? One carry uh, in the second quarter by a Notre Dame running back. Obviously, that was not acceptable to Brian Kelly, who Tim has already intimated. Without t- saying, he said it to Chip Long, we need to run the ball more, Chip. So I think that is an adjustment. Um, asking the players after the game, Julian Love and Khalid Kareem both said, we just started talking to each other. This is defense. We just decided we need to play better. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if it's their coach to say that, but that was what the defense said. Miles Boykin said we just needed to execute more. So I think when you ask a player, you don't get a real answer maybe. But if you just look at the stats, one carry by a running back in the second quarter when that game was kind of getting away from Notre Dame, I'm pretty sure that was the adjustment Brian Kelly demanded out of Chip Long. I mean, yeah, this would be – we would need to talk to coordinators after the game to get a, a mm-hmm. straight answer on this. Um, 
play I, I would say play calling, which you said, O'Malley, and then I think the linebackers understanding what Virginia Tech was trying to do to them offensively with those you know crossing routes and sort of getting people turned around a little bit. That was that was it. I, the Making a decision to play better is not an adjustment. Like, that doesn't even make sense. But to making a decision to run the ball more and then just having a comfort level of, okay, here's what they're trying to do. Keep your eyes here. Don't get fooled by this. I mean, I, I guess if you want to say that's a making a decision to play better, that's fine. To me, that's more like Clark Lee going in and be like, all right, I'm going to explain to you what, what's happening here. Let's go back out there and execute it. And they did a pretty nice job of the it. The good news is, whatever the reason, and however it comes about, it's three straight games where the quote-unquote adjustments have really been in Notre Dame's favor. Yeah, and suddenly, sure. you know, whereas after the first three games, the they talk not. was not closing, and now they're closing like crazy. Yeah. So, um, that's good. And still, generally speaking, getting off to, to good starts, too. Well, that's why they're... What is wrong with the second quarter? <laughs> That's why. My Notre Dame was falling apart. My column. Yeah. <laughs> no coach has ever come to the film room on Sunday, Pete, and said, "Boy, that second quarter." <laughs> this one from Blue Chip Man. What are your thoughts on Book's long ball accuracy struggles on Saturday? More likely a fluke, or more likely a long-term issue? And a follow-up that we'll also touch: dashing Domer. What was that? An example of an off game, quote unquote, by Book? If so, what does that mean for this team? I just really think, and I know you guys have a different opinion about this, and I and I get the idea of a guy that doesn't have a strong arm tries to muscle up sometimes, therefore he overthrows. Um, but I do think, I, I, if you if you watch Ian Book's reaction to the, the initial overthrow to Chris Fink, which, as I said before we started recording, it is okay for him to make a mistake. I was I, much I, more angry about that in-game than you were. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is going, the, the, the time will come, and it did come on Saturday, where Ian, Ian Book won't be perfect and will make an overthrow. But I thought his reaction to that maybe hyped him up a little bit more on the next one and the next one and the next one. And I think he just got frustrated with himself because he's a kid with a lot of confidence, and he thinks he's going to make every throw. And when he didn't make the throw that he knew was going to be a touchdown, it impacted him a little bit at that point. It's the weakness of the game is the vertical deep shot, and I'm and I'm not talking like the way I sort of break up the passes are like if the ball's twenty yards or more beyond the line of scrimmage, that's the deep ball. But the ones that he was throwing at Virginia Tech were more like forty yards right, beyond the line right. of scrimmage, and it's hard to be accurate when you really gear up and and put more into it. I mean, it's like if you're on the if you're on the tee box with your driver and you try to like, I'm really going to hit the crap out of this one. That get, that point. that is rarely your best drive down the middle of the fairway. So every quarterback has strengths and weaknesses. I think this is just books to answer the second part of this question. If this is an off game by Ian Book, Notre Dame's going 12 and 0. Yeah, the second part of this question is a great one by Dashing Domer because he threw 10 incomplete passes, and I feel like I remember all 20 incomplete passes. <laughs> Do you exactly. know what I feel yeah. like That's how it felt. Like, and, he only threw 10 incompletions. And, in passes. fact, he has 28 incompletions in three games. He's and, third nationally in completion percentage. Third. To double down on your golf analogy, PK. Um, Thanks. Think about it trying to shoot a basketball. More accurate when your range is 18 feet or when you shoot from 25. It's just different. you got to chuck yeah. it up there. You can make it. Like, in this example, I think you could probably go back to half court. You, yeah. you can get it there, yeah. but it doesn't you, mean it's... You guys made both... Both really good points, but yes, this, I agree. This it's more is the one his, thing, though. This is his bad game in which he completed seventy-one percent of his passes. You do. I feel like I remember every incomplete pass. That's when that happens. No, I hear you. You're doing a, you're doing and a great I, job as a quarterback. And I made a comment. I think it was in my um, 
I don't know if it was in my snap judgments or my uh, grades after the game, but um, I don't even remember what I was going to say now. I still, I'm book still did a good job, and you like him? Book yeah. did a good job, yeah. and I like him. But, yeah, I mean, um, 28 completions in three games. That's, yep, that's, that, that's, that's two hours of sleep speaking right there. Um, 28 incompletions in three games and, and, and better than 70%. Um, if that's an off game, then, uh, you know, as you said, Pete, that they will – well, I won't say 12-0. I'll say 11-0 and going into that's USC. Coming up. But that's uh, – yeah, that's coming up. 12-0, get on board, guys. <laughs> Daniel Squirry, what were your thoughts on the offensive lines? First game without Alex Bars. I was pleasantly surprised. I, mean, I thought that Ian Book was going to be under a lot more duress than he, he was. Um you know, I thought that Virginia Tech did a pretty good job against Notre Dame's run game in the first half when they weren't yeah. really running it that much. But um, I thought overall it was it was a good performance from a group that should get a little bit better moving forward. I mean, it was far from a perfect performance, but it was a it was a winning performance in the same way that I thought the defensive line depth well, there was clearly a drop off. But it wasn't below the threshold of winning football. The offensive line, there was clearly a drop off, but it wasn't below the threshold of winning football. At one point during the game, I said to you, Tim, I'm like, I'm I, when the ball snapped, I'm watching the left side of the line. I want to watch mm-hmm. Eichenberg. And, and obviously, there were a couple of plays where Eichenberg really struggled and was a turnstile on a couple of those. Ruland, you know, the difference between Ruland and Bars is Bars is going to push people upfield, and Ruland's only going to do that every now and then. But what I like about Ruland is his. When he moves his feet, and I think that he's going to move his feet almost all the time now because now he's playing and he's comfortable, right. whereas in that Wake Forest game, he didn't always do that. When he moves his feet, he's his feet. He's a positional blocker. He's an angle blocker. He has good enough feet to get the angle on a guy. And and I, you know, I mean, that's just that's going to have to be his game. He's two hundred ninety six pounds going up against guys that are, you know, tackles are twenty five pounds heavier than he is. So. Um, you know, I mean, I, th- I thought he did a pretty decent job. And, I, you know, when they put him on the move, he's pretty good, too, because he's a, he's a lighter guy and can move. Now, Bars beca- has become good or had become Bars good. Bars had become really good. Yeah, on the yeah. run, a really big body yeah. on the run. And he was getting getting to the point of attack when he needed to. But, I mean, I think, the, you know, it's there's still going to be a drop-off at that position. They just, they can't run. They can't, just can't line up and run behind them the way they could line up and run behind bars. You know, uh, if you ask Dexter Williams, he got about three carries with 141 untouched yards because of that offensive line, too. So everything else can't even out when you get that. Now you're not always going to get the 97-yard untouched touchdown and 31-yard barely-touched touchdown and 13 yards to the right side where it's just caved in for you. But that's part of it, and we, talk, we touched on it in the first segment. Nowadays, it's part of it is what big plays you get in the running game because Notre Dame does not have to grind it out. Well, that was where, uh, when I sat down to do the grades, I had a real problem with everything. I mean, really, you know, how do you grade the running game? Well, you know, I mean, there's a 97-yard run in there, and there were a a whole bunch of 31-yard touchdown, and then a whole bunch of stuff. So how how do you rate that? Well, ultimately, when you win by 22 points on the road, and you end up rushing for, what was their final figure? I mean, approaching 200 yards. I, I had to put it in the B range. Now, was it a B all the time? Well, no, because there were there were probably more stuffs than you want. But ultimately, when they had to spring them, they did. And and the timing of, you know, you're talking about feeling like you're losing or feeling like you should wouldn't be winning by more at halftime. And now you're backed up at the three. The timing couldn't have been better for the 97 yarder. On a related note, at Shane 0607, how would you guys grade or rate the job Jeff Quinn has done? That's you know. A B, I guess, if you got to put a grade on it. Um, 
you know, it's it, the line's taken a pretty big step back from last year when it was like all time good. That's fine. I think everyone expected that, but it's been good. I, I think they've had a lot of winning performances. Um, and if, if you struck the second half against Michigan uh, from and, the record, when, and they have scholarships too, remember? Yeah, when yeah. Michigan like really kind of ate their lunch with uh, Gary and Winovich, like. I think that they've been the better, and especially Stanford start to finish, um, they've been the better of the Notre Dame's offensive line versus the opposition defensive line. I think they've been the better of those two, I don't know, what, 10 out of the 12 halves that they played? Could you do two grades because there's two different offenses right now? The first three games was the Wimbush-led offense where they kind of had to be a little better. I feel like the grades would be the same, though. I feel like they struggled against... Ball State to block. Oh, yeah, for, you know, that, that game was a weird one, of course. But I, I don't think they're great against Vandy either because I, I must not – I don't want to do retrospect because I left the Vandy game thinking, boy, their team was pretty good. I'm not sure it is. So I would say two grades, it's with Book and with the, or with this current offense. They look better than they did in the first three, right? Well, I, they're, they're averaging 195 yards rushing a game, and they start out really, really slowly. They basically accomplished that, you know, approaching 200. They were over 200 going into the, the Virginia Tech game, but, I mean, they've accomplished it in three games. So – Bottom line, are you better now than you were when the season started? And they're way better. Even even with, even with moving forward with Rulin instead of Bars are way better when, than they were when they played Ball State and, and when they played Ball State. I thought it was very interesting uh, on Sunday when Brian Kelly said the offensive line really likes blocking for Ian Book. Because that that's not – like he's been really sensitive about you know, drawing comparisons right. between quarterbacks – and, you know, it's just the same. We run the same offense. Well, they, but, don't, they don't have or on the – they don't yeah. have book it or Wimbush on the, the depth chart anymore. But I think it, it – I wonder if Ian Book's escapability behind the line of scrimmage helps the offensive line. Like, it's sort of like he can make the first man miss so many times. And then the play is still like – the play is still on. He keeps the pass alive, yeah, whereas Wimbush wouldn't. Yeah, yeah Wimbush makes Wimbush the first guy miss. Wimbush makes the first guy yeah. miss and then runs it. Right. Whereas when Book does it, then – Sometimes it's a forty-yard touchdown pass. It's just a, there's an efficiency upgrade there. I thought we we talked about it when book came in. Then the line knows where he is too. You, you yeah. kind of trust what's going to happen back there. And I guess that goes to your point of when he makes the first guy miss, you just hold, you can contain your block. You keep blocking because he's not the yeah. play's not becoming a scrum. No, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I think you can see offensive linemen looking out of the peripheral, knowing where he is. I think I think that's evident. At Tweed Twitter, uh, Paul Camerana. NFL Films guy, former uh, guy that we worked with. Khalid, Ka- no, I'm doing it. Khalid Kareem has proven to be the best setup of anyone named Kareem since Magic Johnson tossed it into the actual Kareem. So now who will be, any credited you, Pete, by the way. So now who will be the next <laughs> Irish player to emerge with such a force and consistency? Mm, the next breakout player. Because, I mean, Khalid Kareem definitely is. That's a yeah, huge breakout. A, yeah, it's been... I mean, Jafar Armstrong would be the one, but he's kind of broke He broke out when he was on the field. Well, how about, I mean, Miles Boykin, have we passed the threshold with him, too, after yeah, the last two weeks? I think so. We're just like, this is what you're going to... This is an A-plus, A-1. catches and yeah. three touchdowns. All right, I'm going to go back to uh, someone we talked about, and Pete talked about a lot, and I said, beware of the old sophomore that we coordinate too early going forward healthy Cole Komet yeah going back to what you predicted in the preseason Pete yeah I, I, I would agree with that there's a lot of guys that have already broken out so we have to I mean the, the move that he put on the sideline there that for, I mean he looked like he could have been 5'10 170 plus you talk about guys getting comfortable with 
Pete, or uh, excuse me, Tim said Rulin getting more comfortable. Yeah. He'll have his feet. Cole Komet getting comfortable is could be a real weapon. Yeah, that's when you get that that four headed monster of Claypool, Komet, Mack, and Boykin. It's um, it's there's a lot for Ian Book to. You know, I would have there. said Jafar Armstrong, but right, now Dexter right. Williams is complicated. Oh, things. he'll still be involved. But once you still, have those two, no, I, no, I agree. And then you you know then you don't. I mean. You know, you don't have to beat down Dexter Williams. I don't care him. how good Dexter Williams is. He shouldn't get over 20 carries if you have a healthy Jafar right. Armstrong. No, ab- Just keep go- both of them against the and they, carries. And then. they do need, I mean, if you want to be complete, if you're talking about top five and playing in a, yeah. in a playoff game, well, you need Jafar Armstrong to be the receiving threat out of the backfield. This is going in Monday musings, but Dexter Williams, 8.9 yards per carry. Less than last year's output at 9.2 <laughs> in the same amount of carries. Yeah, <laughs> This is ridiculous what he's doing. When he gets the football in his hands, remember our play call for Dexter Williams. He doesn't know the he doesn't know which way to go. He doesn't know who to block, and he's not sure about where every receiver's going. Why don't we call a play where we hand it to him and tell him to run one way? Well, I think there are still some plays that pop up where you see Ian Book turn to like do a play action fake, but Dexter Williams is running on the other side of him. Good, uh, whatever. <laughs> you don't care. I don't care. Uh, I mean, his I think he's he's zero point three yards behind Jonathan Taylor for most rushing yards per game in the country. Obviously, he doesn't qualify because he didn't. He's only played in two of the six games, but yeah, what he's doing is is, is pretty impressive. If right Jafar now. Armstrong comes back healthy after the bye week, Dexter Williams will average over. He'll average eight, more than what he's averaging now. No, but he'll average over the. Is it eight point three to break the Notre Dame single season record by George Gipp? Because Reggie Brooks Reggie was close Brooks to was it, at right at eight point one, yeah. eight point zero, and Jeff uh, and Jonas Gray and Jeff, and uh, not Jafar, uh, Jonas Gray and Josh Adams were threatening it until things happened in November. Yeah, you need a healthy guy like Jafar, and he can do it. He can break it. At struggle, bus Gus, the Adam Alola twins seem to be around the ball a lot. Could they possibly see more snaps to bolster the defensive line? Um, they could if Dalen Hayes remained hurt and <laughs> Julian Oquaro, you know, had a month-long suspension from from a hit on the field. I, I mean, I don't think that the, the, those guys aren't going to be unseated. Now you're in a portion of the schedule where maybe you're in a position to, where they can play a little bit more because you have bigger leads early on. But, I mean, Jason Adamalola made a, a, again, I encourage you to read the, the tale of the tape, made a significant tackle in one of the key yeah. series in the second half, and then uh, Justin Adamalola did as well. So I, I, Justin Adamalola works out of a two-point stance, which I kind of find interesting. So he's kind of combination outside linebacker and, and defensive end, not in a three-point stance. But he made – Justin Adamalola made – he had three tackles. I didn't see the third one, but two of them were – it was absolute textbook where he got in a hand fight with somebody, threw him aside, squared up, and made the tackle. It was textbook. It was beautiful. The problem with the the more snaps line of questioning is someone has to lose snaps, and who's, or, no one's going to lose snaps. Or the defense right. has to be on the field longer, and you know that's not ideal yeah, either. I, just, I think what they're doing is great, and they should keep doing it. And if it never gets to be more than it was on Saturday night, that would be a positive. I think Jason I, never this season, I should say. I think Jason Adamalola can have the same number of snaps and have better snaps as a season, at more more good snaps of in when he's not playing more. He's As the season progresses. Yeah, and he, you know, once he, he, obviously, true freshman, I mean, he has the quickness. He needs to add more strength yeah. to be a, a, a guy in the trenches here's, with three technique. Here's how I would look at it. Stanford ran 51 plays. Uh, Jason Alamola and Justin Alamola didn't play. They had no snaps. I don't 
that was a fine defensive line performance. Like they they don't need to diversify yeah, they in are, those kinds of, of scenarios. They already have well Jason Adamalola is playing. They already have yeah. enough depth. But you know, if Justin Adamalola continues to play like that, they'll look for spots to put him in in the first half. Also ideally in mid to late November, some of those there's another guy coming that will take some snaps. Yeah, I think the answer to this question is more like, does this give you more confidence that those guys are going to be hits in 2020 and 2019? I think the answer would probably be yes. I would agree. At Murphy324, we've seen one super athletic play after another this year. Isn't Matt Bayless really the MVP of this team? According to Khalid Karimius. He offered, when I talked to Clay Cream about his game, he said, Matt Bayless is unlike anyone else in the country, and I give him all the credit for what we do. That was an interesting answer by Kareem, because I was just asked about the fumble he caused. He said, I was on the ground, and I immediately remembered we can't stay on the ground. And I refused to stay on the ground, and wow. I got up and made That's the play. Okay. He credited That's Matt Bayless. I mean, I, yeah, who would know better than a, than a player as effective as Khalid Kareem? I, I, I agree. Now, I would stop short of saying yeah. that, because some of these guys came in with a, a tad bit of ability. Yeah. Doesn't mean he's the MVP. I'm just saying right. he does deserve a lot of credit. Right? No, no doubt about I it. I need mean, to start working out with Matt Bayless. I mean, I, I, I think when we all when we first heard the name Matt Bayless and we all started investigating exactly who this guy was, I think we we're all excited about what his potential is. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to underestimate what he's done at all. He's been tremendous, and I think that I think the impact is even greater this year than last year, just because second time through. I want to say this. Uh, I talked to Julian Love after the game, and he gave me a, I thought a, a really insightful quote about the A game, B game. And it's like, you know, everyone has an A game where you're just balling, everything's great, it's clicking. When you're at practice, you're working on your B game. You're working on the moments where things are off, you're just not totally locked in. And he said Saturday night was was a B game performance. And I said, and he's like, I use this in business classes, I use this in life. Like, working on your B game, that's where great teams have great, have really wow, good B games. Good and I said, we're... But like that's a that's a cool outlook. Where'd you get that? He's like, oh, Paul Longo told me that my freshman year, and it really stuck with me. And I was like, wow. I mean, it's just interesting, like where where guys sort of get different bits and pieces of information and move forward. In, in this instance, if I I was surprised I was talking about Paul Longo after the Virginia Tech game, but in in that instance, like something he said really stuck with Notre Dame's best defensive player and the the team and benefited from it. Two things on that. Number one, that's why Julian Love cannot go pro early. Because we have to talk to him after games and in he's practices, so good. he's so good that he he literally we can't let him leave. I don't know what will happen because we're losing tranquil too. What would you, what, right? What's your what's your plan to stay and play for four years? What? Yeah. No, I mean people to, up before. No, <laughs> to prevent no to prevent him from doing I'll it. I'll politely ask him. There's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. It's not. And number number two, um, not to underscore or in any way take away from what Matt Bayless has done, but Matt Bayless will be proven to be the MVP of this team if what happens now is happening when it never happens at Notre Dame. November. And did not last year in November. In November, well, and then in the playoffs. <laughs> it's <laughs> harder than just November. Just take November. <laughs> just okay, take we'll November. start with November. <laughs> Terry Benedict asks, uh, or says first, and then asks, there's the top four teams in the country, then there's everybody else. What part is Notre Dame in? First of all, there's an error in this question. There's the top one team in this country, if all things are equal, and then there's everyone else. Alabama and Clemson. And those other teams are playing different sports right now. You can beat Alabama because anybody can be beaten. But logically, Alabama is at a different level than everyone else. So if you go Alabama and then Ohio State, Clemson, and just out of Georgia Georgia because of what we know about Georgia. Now, they haven't really played their best game yet. I was with a Georgia fan all weekend. Georgia's I have been regaled, with, really have been regaled with stories of everything, every aspect of Georgia all weekend from one guy that came along with all my Notre Dame friends. That won the game, I would like to point out. 
Yeah, we're victorious. Nice job, guys. Yes. <laughs> but there's a yeah Georgia fan there, and I, I talk to him a lot. Uh, but yeah, Georgia will be another one. He thinks that their best can come, but they haven't really haven't really shown it like last year. Um, then I think the Notre Dame's right there, right in the next Notre Dame, Penn State, Washington. All I the think teams Nor- Notre Dame are... deserves to be number five. Yes, in the country yeah, that's right what now I think too. Now, their accomplishments, they've accomplished more than Georgia and Clemson yeah. in terms of wins, but you don't only go on that. You, you may have to go on that. Some people think 12. that that's the only thing they should go on. Yeah, you know, I, first of all, there is one thing. Someone said, why are people ripping on the schedule? I don't, no one's ripping on Notre Dame's schedule to date. It's what awaits. I think they, they're the... But that's not their fault, for no, crying out No, Texas and Notre Dame are the only... Complaining Florida State. Yeah, Texas. Oh, of course. But Texas and... I did this in my wrap-up column on Sunday. Texas and Notre Dame are the only contending teams to beat three ranked teams so far. So, so far, Notre Dame has done all it can. Now, there's not a lot of rank... Though that's going to change. Because Notre Dame, as Pete has pointed out a few times, may not face another ranked team. Uh, almost certainly will USC not. could... You never know what... I mean, if USC just keeps winning... Well, USC is the, only, be ranked, po- the yeah. only possibility. Right. <clears throat> In the playoff, they'll meet a ranked team. That'd be fun, I, too, right? But... Yeah, I, I agree with her saying Alabama is one by a mile. And then I then I would say Georgia and Ohio State are, are clear two and three. And then if you want to make an argument that Notre Dame is better than Clemson or Clemson is better than Notre Dame, I, w- I would hear both. Right. right. That's right now, yes, that. right now I would agree with that. Now, now is Clemson's defensive line playing as well as it should? Probably, Probably not. Probably not, as good, as good as they are. Or as well as they can, which is the issue, of course. All these, th- you know, it's, yeah, Alabama. Well, that's probably the most as well as they can. As well as they yeah. can. They're not. They're not. But they're still pretty good. Yeah, that's yeah. Notre Dame is right there, though. They're on the cusp, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd say they're they've got a look. They've got a great shot to make the playoff, and they're they've the quality of football they're playing the last three weeks stacks up really well with Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson. I mean, and you know, I, I think when when you talk about Georgia and Ohio State being clearly ahead of Notre Dame right now, we're still sort of like. Half of Notre Dame's schedule was the first three games, and those don't—I guess they count, but they don't really count. Yeah, that's because fair. The that, offense that's... is so different. Like the way Notre Dame—if Notre Dame had played six games, the way they played the last three, we would be having that's a, a pretty point. strident <clears throat> conversation about Notre Dame is right there with Georgia and right there with Ohio. I, State. I agree with you. Um, and people wonder why Ohio State gets a lot of credit for their two top twenty-five wins versus Notre Dame's three at Penn State and at TCU. I'm sorry, it's is harder than the three wins that Notre Dame has yes. against the top 25. Yes. So that's why that's in yes. there. At Stangle Jamie, of the games remaining, which one do you think has the best possibility of being a hiccup? Uh, I mean, are we are we striking USC from the conversation just because yeah. like, they're yeah. the best team? That's not a hiccup because right now that line is 3.5, by the way. You can bet the line of only 3.5. So that's not a hiccup. That's a rivalry game. No, I assume, I, assume, <laughs> I, I assume that that meant excluding USC. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with Pete, uh, with Tim's preseason thing on this one because they've shown some flashes here. Northwestern on the road after Navy is the hiccup game for me. I can't, I'm not allowed to speak about Northwestern <laughs> anymore, so go ahead. North, yeah, and it's, uh, you know, you know, I'll stick with Syracuse. Okay, yeah, because I, I just think it's a weird spot. The, it's the look ahead to USC. Yep. It's the Yankee Stadium. It's the fact that Syracuse plays a pretty unique style of football. <laughs> some tempo, can some cause. tempo. Yeah, so I, I think Syracuse yeah. is the. Most slip up type of game that Notre Dame plays I'll, the rest of the way. I'll, I'll stick with Northwestern, yeah. but you know, I mean, if Florida State pulls that game out Saturday against Miami, I, I you know, I, I maybe I won't stick with Northwestern. I no, I'm I'm going to say Florida State. Well, I just 
the thing is, like, it's the post-Navy travel situation, so all three of us are going to hit it. So, one of us is going to hit it somewhere because they're going to wear down. They're going to wear down somewhere after that. It doesn't mean they lose the game, but well, they're going to wear down somewhere after made, these trips. You made a comment when we were after the game at some point, um, man, this team really needs a bye week. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you just you have to be a little bit leery about Pittsburgh. I mean, Pat Narduzzi has beaten Clemson and Miami in the last two years. It's impossible to be up for this game, right? It is, it is, I'm not. <laughs> it is virtually impossible is. for this team to be up to the level that Brian Kelly would want them to be up to, let's put it that way. They will be so focused on the Navy. If they're undefeated and they're playing Navy after bye week, their name is going to be 100% focused on that game. That is no longer a thing where you're worried about answering the bell. Because they have an offense that will just keep scoring points on Navy. Yeah, it's not like Notre Dame put nine months of preparation into the environment for Pittsburgh coming to town. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not saying Pittsburgh's going no, to be no, Notre Dame. This I, is the I, ultimate can't be up for this game, human nature no game. No doubt. There's no doubt about it. Okay. There's not, I mean, when people talk about when people talk about trap games and they're talking about Syracuse after they almost beat Clemson, that's not, that doesn't fall under the parameters of trap games. So the answer to this is if Pitt was just better, this would be the game. But they're not that good. They they beat. I, they ran for like two hundred sixty five yards they against did Syracuse. Just, I know they just beat That's Syracuse for so for some. Well, the reason Syracuse wasn't up to play was because they blew an opportunity against Clemson the week yeah. before. And it's Pittsburgh. Everyone can overlook Pittsburgh. <laughs> Syracuse just isn't good but, enough to do it. Yeah, we Pick up as Pittsburgh. And, and we found thing, it. The funny thing was, we did not get we we did not get one question about Pittsburgh for today's podcast. And no one's up for it. See, there's no. <laughs> You're going to have a letdown, fans. Yes. At Mike Giampa, if Indy wins out and it loses its last game to USC, will it make the playoffs? If that was the first game of the season, it would definitely make it. Well, it's uh, not the first, it's the last. And if they lose, there's no way they're making the playoffs. Right. Yeah, I also I disagree that if they had lost to Michigan and run the table, I still don't think they would make it. Because I mean, it depends the on schedule. Because of out. what's coming yeah. up, yes. I think that they're, if an 11-1 Notre Dame, whether they started 0-1 and finished 11-1 or start 11-0 and finish 11-1, I think that that Notre Dame this would, year. would still not make the playoff based on the other dynamics. I agree in play, like Georgia and it, like they're, an eleven and one Notre Dame is not going to make it over Georgia or Alabama. It's not going to make it over a twelve and one Clemson. It's not, it's probably not going to make it over a twelve and one Oklahoma or a twelve and one West Virginia or a twelve and one Texas. Um, it just Notre Dame is going to have to go twelve and zero to make it. And it, it's you know as much as there's a lot of Oh, when is a loss? Is a good time to lose? It, it, this year it wouldn't matter. Last year against Georgia, fine. Yep. Right. This year it it just doesn't work out that way, and I don't think it has. You know, should they be in a conference? It, it it's the strength of who you play. And now Notre Dame, in the next few weeks, Notre Dame is going to be denigrated on on every sports show in America because they're not playing anybody. It's not their fault. Right. North it's just Florida the way it State is. is not supposed to be this. They, right. This Florida State was supposed to be the marquee game when they when they do the ACC schedule and Jack Swarbrick said our understanding is you're not going to give us Florida State and Clemson and Virginia Tech in the same year. Those are the teams you're right. Florida State was the marquee game this right. year. Like Clemson was in fifteen, like Miami was yeah. in seventeen. They're just not good enough. But that like Alabama last year, they didn't they played number three Florida State to start the year. You know, people start saying, well, well, Florida State's no good. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, you're, they were supposed to be, but they weren't. This is the only, this not the only year, one of the years where one loss is out. Now, they, got, they, got, they have to sweep, which leads us to our final question from Kay Beasley, and that is, okay, I'll go there. 11-1 or 12-0 with your revised predictions by the staff? And so, it's a good time. To, we're yeah. more than happy to discuss that now. We did this last year when they were going to the bye week, and they had not yet played USC. They are 5-1, looking good. And we all said, I think four and two, five and one, six and zero, oh, three and three. 
this year as that's the order because we they hadn't beaten USC yeah. yet. We weren't we weren't as high at that point because they hadn't played USC and NC State and or I said that maybe you said well, that. I'm not sure, but how the world I don't remember yeah. that. But I well yeah I mean the way they played in those two games, it, but it was prior to nobody those games. Could, yeah, yeah no but yeah. nobody could have. This year I think I would say five and one, and you guys both would too, right? Is oh, the most yeah. likely yeah. ending. Do you agree with that? Yes. So now the question is, is four and two or six and zero oh more likely? Six and zero. Oh. Wait a minute. Let me go back. You're asking me if I think What's five. You're asking me if I think five and one is the most likely outcome, as opposed to six and zero oh or four and two. I'm not sure. About I'm assuming that. you don't think it's three and three anymore. Like no, last year, I, last year we were I, throwing about I, three I don't, and three or six and zero. Oh. I don't think it's four and two either. I no, I. I mean, I you know, I guess the only thing that I'm willing to say now is I think Notre Dame's going to go USC 11 and 0. So you're more so six and 0 than Pete and I are. We're on the five. And I would one. I would say yes, that's true. I'm factoring USC into it. I mean, yeah, me too. I am too. But this sets up a very fun uh, little extra question here. I thought on the way here. I will say that every contending team in the country, and in my Sunday article, I'm talking, I'm stretching it to undefeated NC State because if they win out, they're contending. So there's 18 of them right now. Go ahead and read Irish Illustrated. You'll see my 18. All of them, all of those teams have a more likely five and one than six and zero. Every single contending team. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Sixteen Power Five teams have made the playoffs the last four years. Do you know how many came in with an undefeated record of those sixteen? Florida State did the first year and lost. Mm-hmm. Um, Alabama never has, right? Did Washington, which move? is incredible in itself, Washington must have, right? When they were, mm. they, if they made it with one loss, good for them. Possibly. I know Florida State did because no. The answer is four. Okay. Never have two been undefeated. Never have two. Okay. So it's been one each year of the playoff. One Power Five team has been undefeated entering the playoff. Wow. Just one. So I'm right. So I mean, you're at, so five and one. Yeah, it's just across the board. So it's across more the likely. board, it's more likely. Right. So we're yeah. sitting here thinking like, oh god, is, is Notre Dame going to get left out twelve and zero? What if everyone else went like? No, they're, they're not all going twelve and zero. They're not all going twelve and zero. Probably only one of them is going to go in twelve and zero. I think Notre Dame has the best chance of all of them to actually do it. Clemson's up there. Yeah. It's like, what would you rather have happen to you? Have people dissing your schedule because you're playing Navy, have a bye week in Pittsburgh, or have to play Alabama, or go to LSU, or you know play at West Virginia? I, it, there's the the teams like even Clemson. I think they've got NC State coming up, which is undefeated. You know they're going to have to do the you know, ACC championship game at some point. It Notre Dame has the clearest path to the playoff of anybody, not because they're ranked fifth and twelve and zero will automatically make it, because everyone else around them, like Georgia and Alabama, have to play each other. Would you rather do that or have your season already be over because you just finished at USC? Wonder, Notre- yeah, would you rather play Georgia have it, play Georgia Alabama against each other or that? Pesky little rival USC. Yeah. I mean, no matter what, I don't want to, you know, I never diminish the end of Notre Dame's schedule here, but if you're comparing it to playing an SEC championship game, I think I'd rather play USC in the Coliseum. Yes. <laughs> to try to get in. So ESPN did its, this is part of the story, ESPN did its uh, power index chance to win out. Notre Dame is second, tied with Ohio State somehow exactly at 37.6%. I'm not sure how they could be exactly tied, but they are. Clemson is 465 Alabama's down to 35.3 because their meat of their schedule is coming and the SEC championship game. But Alabama doesn't matter because when they lose one game, they're going to get in. So Alabama's going to lose two. And it it doesn't really matter when they lose it or anything like that. First of all, NC State will not beat Clemson. NC NC State's peak 
was last year. They're not going. I don't even know where the game is, but they're not going to be. <laughs> I, they're, I didn't even know they were playing this I year. <laughs> no, I figured yeah. they were playing. I just, I just don't know. But so anyway, to 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 put a bow on this, so to speak, for those that are worrying about Notre Dame going twelve and zero and not making the playoffs, you don't have to worry about that. And really, the only thing that you need to worry about right now is not having too big of a letdown when they play Pittsburgh this weekend. And on Thursday, just letting everybody know, you have three days now to come up with questions about Pittsburgh. Look at their roster. Or, <laughs> yeah, do or, some homework, man. Or yeah, whatever else. How are they like. going to defend LaShawn McCoy? Or you're welcome to ask about everything. I mean, there were a lot of Virginia yeah. Tech questions last week, obviously, and yeah. Stanford the week before. Uh, you can ask whatever you'd like for Thursday. You can just ask 2012 questions. We'll reminisce. Yeah. You, can, be fun. you can do that as well. Okay, we'll be back on Thursday, the three of us to talk about Notre Dame-Pittsburgh and whatever else you'd like to uh, to talk about. This has been the latest from Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzarite Financial Services. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.